Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day to those that are mothers. Uh, let's pray and get in our text this morning. Lord God, we thank you for this time. Thank you that uh, you've blessed us with just a beautiful day. And Lord, we think of mothers and later with the message that will be preached. We look forward to just seeing what it is to be a biblical mother. Uh, Lord, right now during this Sunday school time, we pray that you convict us. It is not an easy message. Um, we know our hearts can be deceitful. Many times we think we aren't uh, partial or unfair. Um, help us, Lord. Show us. Reveal to us if we have any hypocrisy in us. Lord, be with us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one of my favorite things to do is evangelism. God has given me the opportunity to do that with the Long Island Ducks, a baseball team, for the last couple of years as a chaplain. And so I'm looking forward to the street fair in Port Washington this Thursday night, and I hope you are too. So I think it would be fitting to start with a witnessing encounter that Jesus had because it will tie into our message for today. So go to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 25 to 29. And here we have a lawyer who is going to talk to Jesus, right? The lawyer there is talking about an expert in the Mosaic law. And look how Jesus interacts with him, right? This could probably help us out with our evangelism. So look with me to Luke 10, 25. We'll read till verse 29. It says, And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And so here we have the lawyer, right, the expert in the Mosaic law, testing Jesus with a question. A question I think all of us would like to answer to. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And so in typical Jesus fashion, he asks the lawyer some questions. And this is something we got to do in our evangelism, right? Asking the other people questions. And so what does the lawyer say? Well, he responds with the commandments, the greatest commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so what does Jesus do? He responds with affirmation. This is the way to eternal life. Obedience to God. But of course we know we cannot do that properly without the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice what the lawyer tries to do here. He tries to justify himself. And as you go evangelizing, you're going to see many people think they are good, right? And they're going to try to justify themselves and claim, well, I'm not that bad. You know, I'm not a Hitler. I shouldn't go to hell. I mean, I've only committed small sins, nothing crazy like murder. And so we see that the lawyer is trying to justify himself by asking this question. Who is my neighbor? A simple question, but Jesus is prepared for it. He's about to tell them the story of the Good Samaritan. Many of us know it. We'll hear about it later. But for now, I want you to think, why did Jesus bring up this Samaritan? Well, maybe this lawyer was willing to love his Jewish neighbors, but not his Samaritan neighbors. We know the Jewish people and the Samaritans did not get along. And so this lawyer was like, all right, I'm willing to obey God's law to a certain degree. All right? uh, I can love everyone I know, but not 
uh, the Samaritans, not those that do not follow my religious practices. And so, beloved, could we be like that sometimes? Could we commit foolish favoritism? And that's what we're going to be tackling today in James chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. So you can go there. I'm going to just briefly recap uh, chapter 1. In chapter 1, we learn that a doer of the word looks intently to the perfect law, the law of liberty, abides by it, and is not a forgetful hearer. We know that blessed doers control their tongue, care for those in need, are clean and unstained or not influenced by the world, but rather they cling to the word. Uh, The blessed doer is wise, has real faith. He humbly receives the word. He puts aside all sin in his life, and we're going to learn one of those sins is the sin of partiality. He's also quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. His relationship with God is a priority. He is a man that prays for wisdom in faith. But we also learn there's another man, a deceived hearer. This one is those that do not persevere, those that will not receive the crown of life. They are double-minded. They doubt God. They think temptation comes from God. They are quick to speak, quick to anger, and slow to hear. They neglect to do the will of God. They are foolish. And so James, what he's going to do for us today is give us an illustration of a deceived hearer. And as we continue throughout the book of James, I want you to see which side are you on, the blessed doers or the deceived hearers. All righty. For today, we're going to have some key points here. Uh, The first imperatives that James wants us to follow. Yes, there's 54 of them. We're going to see two more here. One of them is going to be familiar, and the repetition of it should uh, remind us our need to follow this command daily. The second point is indicatives of what a foolish person is. This will help us see the truth of the people who show favoritism. The third is illustrations, and they're going to help us picture what James has in mind when discussing certain sins. He has done this with doubting, uh, discontentment, and disobedience, and now here we're going to observe discrimination. The last point is inconsistencies that we will observe. James will give us two reasons to understand why the sin of partiality is foolish and inconsistent in our Christian walk. He has done this before when he gave us two reasons to why God is not the source of temptation. He explained why it was foolish when he said, well, uh, we know God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. And so as all good teachers do, they explain why something's foolish. And so that's what we're going to see here in our text. Uh, We're going to recognize the foolishness of favoritism. So let's read our first four verses and dive in. James chapter 2. If you got it, say amen. All righty, here we go. Verses 1 to 4. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes. And you say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? And so in these verses, we're going to examine another imperative from James, an illustration of foolish favoritism and indicative of what foolish people are. And I also added a discussion slide, so be ready to talk about discrimination. All right, so let's see verse 1 again here. Uh, We see 
this imperative. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And so here we have another important command from James. This is God's command to adhere. And it's in negative fashion. We remember it in verse 13. Do not say. And in verse 16, do not be deceived. And so here we have another do not. Do not what? Do not mix faith with partiality. And so let me ask you the first question for today. What is partiality or what is favoritism? What is it? This is our key word here. Yeah. It's a sin. Yeah, it definitely is a sin. Uh, to not be fair. Yeah. Yes. Showing favoritism. So what is the word favoritism? Two different standards. Okay. Did you have something, Liz? Okay. Yeah, for no good reason. Yeah, holding someone higher esteem than someone else, and for no good reason. Anyone else? Favoritism or partiality. So the sin of partiality is not simply preferring one thing over another. It's about inequality. It's putting someone before another person in an unjust or unfair manner. And so we are called here not to hold to this foolish favoritism. You either hold to the sin or you don't. It's something we can hold on to in our hearts. And so James is going to soon explain how our actions reveal what's in our hearts. Uh, but before we get to that illustration, uh, let's look at some examples in Scripture and how God has commanded his people not to show partiality. So go with me to Leviticus 19. I'm going to look at four verses here. Leviticus 19. And uh, verse 15. Good morning. Let's read. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. As we see here, uh, partiality is not fair. Continue. Look at Deuteronomy. Uh, verse uh, chapter 1 verse 17 God speaking to his people Israel here look at verse 17 you shall not show partiality in judgment you shall hear the small and the great alike you shall not fear man for the judgment is God's the case that is too hard for you you shall bring to me and I will hear it good another one 2 Corinthians. So we're seeing how throughout Scripture, God hates partiality. He does not approve of it. 2 Corinthians 19, verses 6 to 7. And he said to the judges, Consider what you are doing. For you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do, for the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. And one more. Yeah, sure. Oh, no, 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 my bad. Second Chronicles, my bad. Yep. 
And then lastly, Proverbs. Here, we'll, we'll make sure we're on the same page on this one. Proverbs 24. Some of you guys may have been going through this in our church breakfast. Look at Proverbs 24, verse 23. These also are sayings of the wise. All right, so if you want to be wise, look at this. To show partiality in judgment is not good. So here we see so many scriptures of how just uh, being partial is, is wrong. It's ungodly. It is not good. It is sinful, as someone recently said. And so we're going to go back to James now. Another important observation to make from this verse is that he brings up the topic of faith again. Remember, he was just discussing what true religion is and what true religion isn't. And so having a real relationship with God, that's what a true religion looks like. And what James is going to do right now is show us what true religion doesn't look like in James chapter 2. So if we call ourselves believers, our faith should look the part, which means we do not have this attitude of favoritism. Now, one last thing I want you to observe and chew on from this verse is the fact that our Lord Jesus is glorious, right? You see there in verse 1, uh, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So our faith is not in ourselves, it is in another person, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of glory. And I want you to feel the weight of that. We don't represent a president or an earthly king with our faith. We represent faith in the king of kings. And so what does your faith look like? Does it have favoritism or faithfulness? All right, so let's look at verses 2 and 3 now. Here we see the illustration that James paints about the problem of partiality. So look at verse 2. It says, For if a man comes to your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention, attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down by my footstool. So here we have the illustration. Uh, just to put it in uh, uh, today's terms, uh, I'll give you an example. Last time I went to baseball chapel, I noticed something interesting. Uh, the player representative, uh, very well known uh, for the Long Island Ducks, um, had some records in the majors. Uh, I noticed when chapel was starting, he didn't uh, sit down in a seat, right? Instead, he went on the floor and made sure every one of his teammates got a seat. And so he was leading by example. He, he did not show favoritism, quite the opposite. He humbly treated others as his equal. He treated them better than he treated himself. And so that is just a small example of love for your neighbor. But what do we see in this text? We observe foolish favoritism, a denial of love for your neighbor. And what do we see? We see three characters. The main one I want you to think about, um, maybe you overlooked them a little bit here, is the foolish person talking, right? This is the one that is the spokesman for the assembly. And the Greek word for assembly is synagogue here. So think about just a church gathering. And remember, James is writing uh, predominantly to a Jewish audience. And in this synagogue, we have like this deacon of sorts, right? He is welcoming people in and sitting them where he thinks they belong. And when the rich man approaches him, he thinks, ha, this person deserves the best seat available, a good seat for this good person. We know this rich man is rich by the way James describes him. He is gold-fingered, or he wears this gold ring. 
And the term, it doesn't just suggest one ring, but rather a finger with many gold rings, right? Uh, I think of Tom Brady with all his Super Bowl rings. And so these rings, they usually signify a man's rank. Clearly, his rank was high. We also know that during this time, one's social status was often identified with their attire. And so this rich man has bright clothes, right? He stands out. Clearly, he can afford his uh, clothes to be clean or to have clothes with just expensive material or maybe just get new clothes frequently. The poor man, on the other hand, he is told to go sit somewhere else. Not in the best seat. We can reason in the worst seat. The text says, sit down by or under my footstool. And so this poor man with dirty clothes has to sit on the dirty floor, not even on the footstool. Uh, maybe where would the person sit? Uh, maybe somewhere in the kitchen. That's probably where the person would sit. Um, and throughout scripture, the Lord's defeated enemies, they're said to belong uh, beneath uh, his footstool. And so what is the fool doing? He's putting himself in the place of God. He's acting like the judge of humans when that's reserved for God alone. And so let's not forget the other option the foolish man has uh, given to the poor man. He says, all right, all right, you can stand over there. So no seat at all, far away from everyone else, and there's nothing good about that offer. And so the foolish man, he didn't observe anything of value in the poor man. He may be thinking something like, what can he give me that I may benefit from? He doesn't have any gold rings. He doesn't have nice clothes. If I give him a good seat, the rich people probably won't be happy with me. And so he's a, a people pleaser, and he's not thinking about others how he should. And so tragically, a leading believer acted in such a way uh, to contribute to the oppressed condition of the poor. The spokesman for the congregation acted as though saving faith in Christ produces no changes in social relations at all. Now, one last observation from this verse is that foolish, uh, the foolish man gives special attention to the rich man. So he doesn't think the poor man and rich man are equals. And so for the fool, the rich person is better. So uh, why don't you tell me, why is that incorrect? Why is that thinking wrong, that rich people are better? They have a lot. Why aren't they better than poor people? What would your biblical reason be? There you go. That's the answer. They're both created in the image of God. So with that topic in mind, let's discuss this interesting topic, discrimination. So why don't you guys give me some examples of discrimination? Uh, what does that look like? Have you seen it? Maybe even in the workplace? I don't know. Discrimination. Yeah. Okay. All right, so that's uh, not as uh, simple discrimination as I was thinking of, but okay. Anyone else? But that does help with the definition. Interesting. Yeah, no. Yeah, I wonder if it was because he was able to lift more or something. I don't know. That's, yeah, that's not. 
Oh man. Yeah, that's that's definitely not fair. That's a good example. That is a good example. Anyone else? Oh, wow, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, sometimes that can happen. Um, we do see there is uh, at times where people are racist, right? So that's one example. Um, we have the sexist example. But the one in our text is mainly about what? Social classes, right? The rich and the poor. And if you don't got money... You get looked bad, and you're like, oh, what's this person doing in here? So um, let me ask a question, though, just so then uh, we're on the same page. What about respecting your elders? Is it ever wrong to respect your elders? Let's say, I don't know, John MacArthur or someone comes into our uh, church. Is it wrong to show him some, like, thank you for all your uh, service? Why? Why? Yeah, very good. So, yeah, I don't want us to be confused with showing honor to people who worked hard in the ministry. It's biblical to love on them and to show respect for their diligence. However, however we should never worship a pastor or a gifted leader. Because um, when we start to give them special treatment and act like they're not sinners, we can easily fall into foolish favoritism. All right, let's continue here in verse 4. Um, we're going to see this indicative about fools. Look at James chapter 2, verse 4. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? And so the foolish person has made distinctions. Discrimination basically means, kind of like what Evan was saying, to separate or divide between two. In other words, those that discriminate are not whole in their faith. They are doubled-minded. You often hear the world calling us judgmental Christians. Well, sometimes they're right. We can act like evil judges. Our values, priorities, and activities must be governed by the definition of true glory, which is displayed in Jesus Christ, in his work and conduct. And so we need to understand that believers are part of the same family. There's no such thing as a better Christian than another Christian. Rich or poor, we are all united in the same faith. We worship the same God. And so to make distinctions is to be decisive and destructive to the body of Christ. And so James doesn't take this lightly. He calls them out for what they truly are, judges with evil motives. Quick comment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Exactly, yeah. So it gets deeper than discrimination. It's more about partiality and the attitude the simple attitude of favoritism, yeah. And so we see here judges have these evil motives. They aren't fair. They are cruel. This doesn't mean we never judge others, uh, but it does mean that when we judge, we should judge righteously, right? I mean, James, he's, what is he doing right now? He's judging others for their foolishness. 
Paul, we know, he exercised this role in relation to Peter when he confronted him when he showed partiality with the Gentiles. Remember, he only wanted to sit with the Jewish people and not the Gentiles. And so in our text, this foolish person wasn't judging rightly. He was judging sinfully. And so James goes to the heart. They judged with evil motives. And we know all good things come from God. And partiality does not come from God. He hates it. And so these judges need to repent. They need to understand who the real judge is and how this amazing judge never judges unfairly. So we're going to learn more about him in a little bit. But before we do, any questions or comments about what we spoke about so far? Yeah. Good practical example. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we should humble ourselves and, and give uh, equal time to as much as people we can. Uh, within our own congregation. That's really what's the heart of this text. Very good comment. All right, so some quick applications here uh, just from these verses. Uh, I'll give you two. Number one, we do we treat others with equality or partiality? Of course, uh, like uh, Brother Bob just mentioned, we should not be partial when we come down here for fellowship. We should love uh, everyone equally. And number two, favoritism denies the faith that should be full of humility. Uh, as believers, we are called to be humble like our Savior who was humble. And um, it wasn't like he was putting uh, the poor or the rich in, in a different level when he came down. No, he was loving uh, everyone he came into counter. Like, right, uh, the Nicod Nicodemus, he was uh, a little more wealthy than some of the poor people he was healing, uh, like the blind people and all that. So uh, Jesus, we see his ministry go out, um, and he did not show this partiality. All right, so now that we discuss foolish favoritism, it's time to observe wisdom's ways. So in the next verses, uh, we're going to see just how the Lord deals with people. It should motivate us to flee from the sin of partiality and to learn from the example of Christ. So let's read verses 5 to 7 here. James chapter 2, verse 5 says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which, by which you have been called? And so in these verses, we're going to examine another imperative and illustration. We also observe inconsistencies with the sin of partiality. And I want you to think about wisdom's way. The wisdom in these verses will reveal to us how foolish favoritism is. And so in the beginning of verse 5, what do we see here? Another imperative. And uh, he says to his beloved brethren, listen. This is like the other command to be quick to hear in verse 19. Uh, there was about being quick to hear the word of God. Here's about listening to this important statement about why partiality is foolish. 
And the statement James makes will reflect what the word of God teaches. It is so vital in our Christian walk that we listen to sound biblical teaching. Without ears to hear, we will not obey God's word. And so some ways to um, listen and to learn to listen better is taking notes, meditating on scripture, memorizing scripture, re-listening to Pastor Nathan's sermons, right? All good ways to listen to sound teaching. Another observation from this verse is that James uses that phrase, beloved brethren, right? In verse uh, one, he says, my brethren. And then here he's, he says, okay, my beloved brethren. So what do you see here? Uh, we see uh, that his concern is there, um, that pastoral concern is there for his church. He wants to see them flee from the sin of partiality. The other time he said, beloved brethren, was when he said, do not be deceived. And so we can sense that James doesn't want his brethren to be deceived regarding the sin of partiality. Uh, some of us may think it's no big deal to favor a group of people over another group of people, but that's foolish. James wants us to see that he wants to see the church growing in their love for one another, no matter their social status. And so that's the way of wisdom. Now, let's discuss this statement that James wants the church to listen to. He states it in a matter of a question. And he really wants us to think about it. And so if you look at verse 5, what does it say? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? And so here we observe God's course of action and the first inconsistency in the sin of partiality. To be partial is to be inconsistent with God's character. Why? Because God doesn't choose people based on their social status. Now, some of you may argue and say, well, wait a minute, it says he chooses the poor. That would mean no rich people would be in heaven. But we know that's not true. We learned in our previous lessons that some rich people do go to heaven. And so poor believers are not the only ones to be saved, but they above all demonstrate God's gracious saving work. In the Old Testament, God's promises were often addressed, especially to the poor of the nation, because it was in this class that godliness had maintained itself. And so poor in humility, they actually go hand in hand. And so however, um, we know in scripture that there is this temptation of riches, right? It is hard for the rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so what we see here is James is using a generic principle that most people that are chosen are poor. But it's deeper than that. We remember in James uh, chapter 1 verse 9, we learn that the lowly will be exalted. And so what James has in mind here is about people who are poor in spirit. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And so God chooses the nobodies. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? It is not those that are healthy that need a doctor or a physician, but those who are sick. And so he came to call sinners, not the righteous. So believers, we all have this in common, whether you're rich or poor. You recognize your need for a savior. You're not trying to fake it and act like you are a good person who always follows God. You know you need God's grace daily, and so you pray with sincerity of heart and ask for forgiveness and for strength to obey your king. And so what James is doing here in this verse is pointing out to the church that partiality contradicts God's perfect will. When he elected us before, uh, the foundation of the world, it wasn't because of anything external we would bring to him. We know that the standards of the world have no influence on God's gracious election. He chooses those who had nothing to offer him, the poor of this world. Most Christians are often 
unheard of, forgotten, and hated by the world, but not by our king. He knows them and he loves them. He has chosen them to be rich in faith. And so since we've been in this topic of election lately, I think it will be good for us to reflect on God's election for a minute. We observe here that God's election is in the aorist tense. The aorist tense records the past fact of God's choice. He has already chosen who would be saved, who will be rich in faith. And this should humble us because it wasn't, if it wasn't for God choosing us, we would have never chose him. And some may disagree and say, wait, wait, no, 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 Kevin. I chose God first, and then he chose me because of my faith. Scripturally, it's impossible to justify that interpretation that people are chosen because they are rich in faith. Here, it's clear that God chose his people to be rich in faith. And so let's continue in verse 5 in that next part here. It says, God chose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Uh, so we see here uh, the present and future reality of the Christian. They are persevering in faith, and they are promised to get to the finish line of glory. And this should encourage us because we have true faith in Christ. That's a guarantee that one day we will see him face to face. At the end of the verse there, it says, "In which he promised to those who love him. And so we remember this from our main verse, right? Verse 12, I would argue. Um, uh, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial and is approved, for he will receive the crown of life. And so it, that's to those who love him. And so he uses the same phrase, he, uh, f- same phrase here. It is promised to those who love him. And what was said there? To those who are blessed. And so these poor believers, they're blessed, and we know that they endure the trials of sinful discrimination. They will receive the crown of life. And so really, we can argue they are the richest people that exist. And so the first reason James gives against the sin of partiality, we saw it was spiritual. God is not partial. He has demonstrated the opposite of partiality. He doesn't show favor to those who are prideful and arrogant. He has chosen the poor, the weak, the needy. And so how can we dishonor those who God has chosen? It is inconsistent to call ourselves believers and treat other believers with disrespect or partiality. Now before we go on to our second uh, point that James gives about why sinful partiality uh, is foolish, I want us to discuss another topic. So yes, another discussion slide. We talked about discrimination, sinful discrimination. What does equality look like? I like Nancy's example. I guess, what would the equality be in that, um, in that scenario with the unequal pay, right? I think you mentioned that. It would be that they would be paid the same if it's the same amount of work, right? What else? What's another example of equality, would you say? Yeah. Yes, we are all sinners. I was going to get to that. That's good. Beat me to it. Anyone else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, equal opportunity. Um yeah, I, I work with people um, intellectual disabilities, and that's one of the things when you go to a workplace and go for an interview, uh, you should be given an equal opportunity for an interview, right? You should be able to see if the person is qualified for those jobs, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, that is a good qualifier, yes. Um, there is merit uh, with certain jobs, yep. All right, that's why we have our resume. Gotta build that resume up, do some entry-level work, and then you know work your way up to the top there. Um, but examples of equality. First of all, how do we know all humans are equal? John mentioned it, we're created in God's image. And so here's another question to chew on. Why is it fair that God chose some to salvation, but not all? This is a good one. Ben, you kind of said it already. Does anyone think it's not fair that God didn't choose everyone? So, so yeah, so here, here's the thing. We're all sinners, and so he didn't have to save any one of us. So what would have been fair if, if he just let all of us go to hell? Because that's what we deserve. But he shows us gracious uh, mercy, right? Um, and so what's the difference between that sinful discrimination that man displays and the election that God demonstrates? One is full of hatred and the other is gracious. So let's go back to our text here. Uh, we got two more verses, verses 6 and 7. And we're going to get to that second inconsistency with the sin of partiality. This one here is an earthly reason, and James illustrates this for us. So look at verse 6 and 7. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? And so we have two more questions here. Uh, we notice how foolish the sin of partiality is. They were treating those who were treating them wrongly with favor. And so do you see the contradiction here? Man's foolishness says, treat those who hate you with special honor. That's what happens with the sin of partiality. You favor those who make your life better, even if it means you favor those who hate you and blaspheme what you believe. And so the illustration is very vivid. The rich in the context, they're oppressing the church. They are dominating and dragging them into court. And in this court, they will be treated unfairly and taken advantage of. And then it gets even wor worse in verse 7. The rich don't just hate them. They hate the God they follow. The verbal slander was directed against the honorable or good name, probably the name of Christ. And so the phrase, it can be translated literally, which has been called on you. And so the phrase implies this close relationship, even possession, and it's frequently found in the Old Testament to describe the relationship between Yahweh and his people. And so here, Jesus occupies this place for believers. As those who confess allegiance to him, they bear his name. And so they're Christians after all, right? They're followers of Christ, but the rich, they continue to show that they do not control the tongue. They blaspheme and commit sins of speech like slander. And so James, with these questions really wants the church to think how foolish this is the people who are dishonoring our king are getting special treatment while the poor who love our king are being dishonored may it never be all right so any questions uh or comments uh before we go into the applications here anything else last chance okay so application number one we should follow God's example of grace. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 tells us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Jesus didn't seek to be rich. He humbled himself to save us. And so may we humble ourselves to tell others of the, of the salvation that we found 
in Christ. Application number two, favoritism accepts foolishness and it's full of hypocr uh, hypocrisy. So ask yourself, what does your evangelism look like? It, it kind of goes back to what Bob was saying. When a poor person comes to your church, do you treat them differently than you would a rich person? May we not be hypocrites, but rather humble servants to all people. So in conclusion, um, we are commanded not to hold to a faith in Christ with an attitude of partiality or favoritism. We also learn that the sin of partiality is foolish. James gave us two reasons why. The spiritual reason was that it goes against God's course of action. He has chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith. And the earthly reason was that it demonstrates a contradiction in the heart of man. Why would we ever favor those who are treating us unfairly and blaspheming the name of Christ? This should cause us to repent of the sin of foolish favoritism and listen to wisdom's way. And that is to treat others equally and to love them because they're created in the image of God. And yes, that means we even have to love our enemies, people from a different region. For the Jews, it would be a call to love the Samaritans. Remember how the lawyer tried to justify himself by asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus responds with the story of the Good Samaritan. In this story, there was a man who was beat up, robbed. The person was mistreated, kind of like the poor man in our text. And this priest and a Levite saw this man half dead. I mean, you would think a priest, right, would, would do something about it. But no, they just leave him to die. But a Samaritan had compassion on this man. He provides for him and makes sure he is taken care of. He's even willing to spend money, hardworking money for this stranger. And after this story, Jesus asked the lawyer a question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hand? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy towards him. And so Jesus says, go and do the same. Beloved, we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so may we not hold to foolish favoritism. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you uh, just for your word. Help us, Lord. This is not an easy thing to do. Uh, our hearts are very deceitful. We can easily show partiality. Um, help us to love one another, to understand we're all created in the image of God. Uh, Lord, may we uh, follow your example and how you humbled yourself to die for the rich and the poor. We pray in Jesus' name.